conversations I've been waiting to have them Trying to change the way I speak so that they don't feel so challenged Can you see the inconsistency, come feel the imbalance I can tell you either way, yeah, ooh, that shit's a distraction I can tell you either way, yeah, ooh, this shit's Hello and welcome to Her Hustle's brand new podcast series, How I Hustle With me, your host, Emma Louise Boynton Her Hustle is a new careers platform for ambitious women born out of a shared frustration between myself, my co-founder Elspeth Mary, at the lack of genuinely good, genuinely helpful career advice on offer. We're all under so much pressure these days to find the perfect job, one that combines purpose and passion, which pays the bills and feeds the soul. But finding that ideal job and carving out that great career is hard. And if you aren't lucky enough to have a clear vision of exactly who and what you want to be, the search can feel both confusing and isolating. Not least because so often we don't actually know the full range of jobs out there, nor what they really involve you doing. That's why we've created Her Hustle, an events and networking platform, and now also a podcast series, which aims to get behind lofty job titles and vague job specs, and demystify the day-to-day of jobs across a broad range of sectors. Throughout this podcast series, I'll be speaking to brilliant women at all different stages of their careers, discuss how I hustle. That is what it really means to do what they do, how they got there and how they get it all done. So for the first ever episode of the Her Hustle podcast, I'm delighted to be joined by the fabulous Sadie Clayton. She has the enviable job title of artist, innovator and creator. Her inventions and design are a fusion of fashion, art and technology and uniquely a lot of her works are made from copper. She no longer calls herself a fashion designer but has moved into wearable technology. Welcome, Sadie, and thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. What a lovely intro. Very excited to talk to you. So before we begin, Mm -hmm. uh, you've managed to carve out such a fascinating career for yourself, and you're only 28. So from starting your own fashion label to dressing the first ever humanoid robot, to showcasing your copper creations at the Tate, and a million other things, all while also teaching and working at a shop called Relic on a Saturday morning. How do you define your job, your career? <laughs> That's such a hard question. Uh, I feel like my career is quite hard to pinpoint. So I think when I just say I'm an innovator and a creator, like you mentioned, that kind of sums it up. Because whilst I'm working at my job I've been at for seven years on a Saturday, I'm still being a creator for my boss. I'm still being an innovator. Mm. Whilst I'm working for my own company, coming up with new design ideas, I'm being creative and innovative. Whilst I'm teaching, I've got mm-hmm. to be creative, you know, with crits or with feedback. Mm-hmm. I've got to be I've got to be innovative. Mm-hmm. Um so I think those two words kind of sum up my career. But overall, absolutely I'm an artist and mm-hmm. I specialise in copper metal because mm-hmm. it's a stone for good luck and it repels negativity and it's a spiritual uh, conductor. Um sums up you I feel really pretty I think well. So. <laughs> The perfect material. So yeah, coppery goodness all over. Um, But yeah, I think it's the combination of, you know, the teaching Mm -hmm. and the creating and the making is what kind of makes me whole, I guess. Okay, so the premise of this podcast is to get behind the job titles and really dig into what I personally find to be the most fascinating of questions. How does everyone really fill their working hours? I'm genuinely so fascinated by this. So can you describe for me what a typical day or week looks like for Sadie Clayton? Let's start with today. Tell me about today. Oh, I've had such an amazing day. Oh my goodness. First of all, it's not rained. Up until now. Up until now. We just got a bit soaked. (laughs) So the fro is not flat. 
yet. Um, then, so this morning, got up, went to South Kent to take my students to the V&A, to the Tim Walker exhibition. Oh, I'm so jealous. Uh, the perks, there are perks mm. of teaching. Um, and yeah, I had another price breakfast, which wasn't great. But then I yeah went to the Tim Walker exhibition. Wow, it's so colourful. You're just mm. going through like this new world, like the set design, the narrative behind each piece. It's so inspiring. Mm-hmm. I felt so... Oh, lifted. Mm-hmm. Then I went to the food exhibition, um, which is really important, really informative, really interesting. I'd recommend everyone to go there as well. Then I had so at my uh, lunch in the sunshine at the V&A, then went to have a call with the client in Dubai, but that didn't happen for some annoying reason. Um, then headed over to another gallery in Central. Um, in fact, this artist was on the Great Women Artists podcast um, and oh, she's, I can't pronounce her name. It's this woman and she's from Harlem and she creates these incredible figurative forms with like fabric mm. and canvas and paint and stitching. It's really cool. Then um, went for a bit of banana bread at a cafe and then met oh. you. Oh, uh, wow. And then after here, I'm going to meditation at London Buddhist Centre. And that, that I, I feel like today has been an epitome of happiness and um, excitement and inspiration all under the sunshine but not every day is like that geez like don't get me wrong um there are days where nothing goes right mm-hmm. i recall two weeks ago i've been mm. at the studio creating a sculpture that i've been making for months and i put it together and i hated it in fact i went home and i cried to liam oh no um and he, you know, he's amazing. And he was like, look, you can't be perfect all the time. You can't have incredible days in your studio every mm-hmm. day. You need to have those days where nothing quite goes mm-hmm. right to appreciate the ones that do go right. Very anyway, true. Sage wisdom. Exactly. A few weeks later, I've created, I've gone back to it, edited it, pulled a few bits apart, plonked a few more bits together. And now it's my favourite sculpture yet. Oh, congratulations. Um, so, yeah. So I'll be showing it um, on BBC One on Sunday which oh. I'm very excited about. Wow, fantastic. Yeah. What's that for? Uh, this whole of the project I'm working on with a robot on the Tate. Oh, yeah. brilliant. <laughs> so I'll have to look into that. And just talk to me a bit about that, because that to me, I mean, today sounds like a fabulous day and obviously there are always ups and downs, but I mean, is there such a thing as a typical week in your working life? So I see you very much, like my image of you saying, is as a fabulous kind of innovator, inventor in your studio, crafting beautiful things. But obviously, you know, you love teaching. You said it's kind of a real kind of staple to your career. How much a part does that play in your mm-hmm, in your mm-hmm. kind of time schedule? Well, this is the thing. I think social media is such a funny thing, isn't it? Because you can you can portray whatever you want on there. Unfortunately, I'm not the best um, social media kind of um, person. So I very rarely post and only kind of post when I want like mm. certain days. Like, I don't do it daily like I'm supposed to, or even weekly or even monthly. Mm. Um, so it's quite interesting how artists and freelancers are perceived via social media. But actually... I can tell you that the majority are and do have another job Mm -hmm. for security that pays the bills, that pays the mortgage, you know, that pays for your holidays because you cannot guarantee, unfortunately, in this climate, you cannot guarantee um, that every project, every client that you work with comes off. And, you know, that was so prevalent at the the start of this year when I thought we're going into 2019 after having an incredible 2018 Mm. I thought right 2019 I had a few meetings lined up a few kind of what I thought done deals for these big commissions not one of them came through because of Brexit you know so you do have to exactly and I'm sorry to bring out that b word (gasps) but it's real and we're all living in this world very true and I'm just I'm I'm a Yorkshire lass and I like you know I like to be really honest and really real 
Um, so yeah, if that answers your question, like absolutely teaching does play a big part. I freelance two days a week and I'm contracted two days a week. And as much as, you know, the, the unis that I work for, it's great because they appreciate me as an artist, as a practitioner in the industry. So it means they're a lot more flexible. So if I do need to have a day off to do, you know, my things, that's fine. I think the students really like the fact that I do work in the industry and they really kind of, uh, look up to me and hopefully are inspired by me. Um, and I love to, I love to uh, feel that that warmth that you get once your students passed and they've passed to a certain um, level of proficiency where mm. you're like, oh my god, I taught that, I, I made that happen. You're sharing your yeah. craft and, and your now skills. I, exactly. And I remember being at uni and creating my copper sculptures for the first time, and my incredible tutor at the time, Andrew Ibby, you know, he was very much the same, like super proud. I never mm. really understood what that meant until now. I'm a tutor, like you oh, do feel that. great. Um, I'm not going to be a teacher forever. Mm. Like you know, it's not my ultimate goal in life. But right now, where I'm at um you know it's paying my mortgage I'm enjoying it and it allows me to stimulate you know mm. my my brain and my my creative cells because being in the studio all day every day on your own is quite lonely mm. it can get can quite totally lonely imagine. so yeah I do like to have these different things but then you know my brother works at British Airways and I fly off to the Maldives or to Indi- you know I do have this exciting and kind of, I guess, exotic life because I make it happen. You make it happen. Yeah. You know, there's Mm. so many things I can be like, oh, no, I haven't really got the time. Or, oh, no, you know, I can't really take that time off. Actually. You make the time. You're only here for, as as far as we're aware, once. Mm -hmm. And you're here for a good time. Mm Mm-hmm. Not a long time. So let's make this Love time that. amazing. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, let's do things that make mm-hmm. you happy, that stimulate your mm-hmm. brain. And if it's travel, I've got this new thing. Mm. Every six weeks, I'm out of London. You I know, love you need that piece to, of advice. You have to. Like, you just need to be inspired and see a different... You know, London will chew you up and spit you back yeah. out. That's so, really yeah. interesting. I love that because I think so often you think of people working in the creative industries as this having this fantastically exotic life, as you described. But actually... The teaching, in your experience, I'm sure lots of other creatives have a similar experience, the need to have that like backbone of stability mm-hmm, that then mm-hmm. allows you to have the freedom and the creativity to kind of run yeah. wild in the rest of your life. But we all have bills to pay. And exactly. that's not necessarily sustainable. So, yeah. um, so you started out in the fashion world. So I know you studied fashion at uh, Kingston. Mm-hmm. Um, and then before transitioning to kind of fully focus on art and sculpture... What made you first want to go into the fashion business? I mean, mm-hmm. you have a really enviable and totally unique style. And I mean, sitting across from you now, you've got this fabulous pink hair and you look you're, you know, covered in rings. You look just absolutely brilliant. Was it a sheer love of clothes or, or what was it? Uh, that's a good one. And it's one that actually I never knew up until a few years ago when Adobe filmed me and they kind of prodded me and were like, why do you look the way you do? Why are you creating these clothes that nobody else is? And I thought, oh my God, like, I finally, I, I understood, like I, I kind of found the reasoning behind who I am. And basically I'm uh, dual heritage, so I'm half Jamaican, half white British, and my parents are split. And when I were growing up, I saw my dad every weekend um, in Huddersfield and, uh, 
you know, very much like the black community. So mm-hmm. all the black girls were there and they didn't really like me because my skin was much lighter and maybe the boys fancied me a little bit more. And, you know, I used to like try and stick my hair down to the side of my head and I took my jeans into my socks. But then I'd go back to my mum's and she'd be like, whoa, 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 you can leave the attitude at the door. Like you're not stepping in until the attitude is dropped. And I'm like, what attitude? You know, because uh, you're a teenager, mm-hmm. you're rebelling, you know, you're yeah. trying to fit in with this life over there. I was trying to fit in this life at my mum's, like, you know, white middle class like mm-hmm. town. Um, and I just thought, you know what? This is exhausting. Like, I don't know. I, I've got such an incredible family. I'm so lucky. Like, I just, my family and my world, like me, mum, my brother, and my grandparents are super, super tight. Um, and I hated the fact that mum and I were constantly arguing over the fact that I'd got this different persona that she didn't mm. know who I was anymore, like when I stepped, oh, wow. you know, away like back yeah. into, um, you know, from being at my dad's back to my mum's. Um, and even to the point where I remember my dad used to take me for my hair cutting and the Afro-Caribbean shops is straighten my hair first and then they cut it. So I used to go back to my mum's and mum would be like, Trevor, what have you done to her hair? Why is it straight? And my dad's like, Virginia, don't worry. Like when you get it wet, it'll go back curly. No, what have you done? So obviously the first thing she did was like dunk me in the bath and, you know, lo and behold, my hair went back curly. You know, so she hated the fact that I was trying to be like others when actually... I've been put on this planet and, you know, to look a certain way. So let's embrace that. Um, And having such a young and lenient mum and, uh, you know, very open-minded mother, it meant that she would take me to the charity shops, you know, Mm. she would take me to the vintage shops. At first she was like, oh, God, the 80s, because she's quite young. She was like, oh, I don't want to see that era again, you know. Um, But now, like, you know, she's... She, if I pick something out, she's like, oh, it's not really, not really you. You like, you know, big shoulder pads and, you know, like... Eccentric. Exactly, and- eccentric, loud, colourful. And then she's like, oh, yeah, that's you. Um, so at that point, and I used to go to Ikea and buy upholstery fabric and make dresses on the mannequin to wear down to the pub. I'd put loads of beads around my neck. I'd put like this gold shimmery eyeliner across my eye. You know, when I first met Liam, I used to back comb my hair and put like hair extensions in and have this huge beehive. You know, so I was always playing around my identity. And at that point, I thought, fashion I need to do it like if if I love dressing up I love dressing myself at leopard print tights I had and gold painting not converse because I couldn't really afford converse but like converse-esque boots you know like all these different things I thought actually I need to embrace this like that's what I love doing let's move you know to London and do it that was after my foundation which I did ceramics in um, but I always had this amazing support network of tutors mm. that really encouraged my creativity, mm. whether it be, you know, in the drawing mm. or the making of the clothing or the or the ceramics. Um, but then after the ceramics, I thought, actually, yeah, let's let's push the fashion mm-hmm. side. And thank God I did because, oh, Kingston, I had the best mm. time at the best people. Mm-hmm. And really, it's the reason why I'm where I am today. So fashion for you was this kind of vehicle for self-expression. So it gave you this... 100%, yeah, 100%. You know, I'd got freckles, I'd got this big hair, I'd got fuller lips, I had... Well, my, I'm very light-skinned, but I had darker skin to my, you know, my fellow mm. classmates. I'd already got this kind of standout existence. Mm. Like, let's just embrace it. So it was let's you just playing like, with that and kind yeah, of dramatizing exactly. that and really making let's, it Yeah, let's you. go all out. Let's experiment. Um, you know, 
yeah, and that's what I did. And I still do, I guess, to a certain extent. Like, I loved, you know, right now I've got pink fro with pink polka dot tights on, you know. Like, I think I wore a walking image today at the V&A, but whatever. <laughs> um, and so, so you began, so you obviously began your career in fashion, as you just said. Um, what was the catalyst for your career? How did it all really begin? Did you have a career plan in mind when you started out? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, that's a really good question because career plans, even those two words are like, oh my God, scary. It's like the business plan, isn't it? They send shivers yeah. down my spine. It's like, what's your 10-year plan? Yeah. Like my 10-year plan. plan? I mean, Am I going to be alive then? Exactly. <laughs> One week from now, I could know what I'm doing the next week, but maybe not. Yeah, exactly. Thank God I've got a file of facts. Um, so basically, um, career plan, no, never had that. But at my um, at uni, my final collection, I made these copper sculptures. And for Kingston, they were very conceptual because Kingston's mm-hmm. an amazing uni, like one of the top for BA, but it's known for like commercial work mm. and everybody getting jobs in like amazing companies. But mine obviously were very artistic pieces, mm-hmm. big metal sculptures. And instead of uh, being on the catwalk at Graduate Fashion Week, I had a little exhibition. So at that point, everybody saw my work, got lots of press from that. And that's when I thought, hang on, I'm already getting a lot of attraction like let's just go for it and push the boat out uh so i started showing at london fashion week off schedule uh just started small like six looks which is mm-hmm. what you create at uni anyway mm-hmm. um you know and as i kept going kept getting more and more press and you know i showed at like st giles and the fields church you know, lots of different things and, like little sponsors and stuff and then that's when the tape reached out to me and they were like look we've seen your work we would love to have you demonstrate your working process um, with copper metal in the Alexander McQueen's working process exhibition for Tate Britain. And I thought to myself, hang on, I'm finally being understood. I'm making these pieces of art that so happen to fit the body, but they can also be in an art existence. And that's really when I continue to push the art side. So I all, I've mm-hmm. always made these copper sculptures. Um and then, you know, like, yeah, just continued to create collections and show at Paris Fashion Week and Shanghai Fashion Week. So, so yeah. it's quite an enviable start to a career in fashion. I mean, you're doing really exciting projects. Um, talk to me a bit about this transition away from fashion. So as I said, I mean, it, that sounds to me like such an exciting and promising start to a career in fashion. Was it a difficult decision to turn away, to turn away from the career path you kind of thought you would follow? And what prompted you to make this mm-hmm. move? Mm-hmm. Well... Because, like I mentioned about this wearable art and, you know, we're creating fashion that were quite, um, for obviously this current climate, very innovative and very creative and very avant-garde. And the people that I always looked up to were like, you know, Jean-Paul Gaultier, Claude Montana, Mm. Thierry Mugler, all the brands that were incredible back in the day, Mm. uh, which you don't see much of anymore. Or you do, obviously, in the vintage world, but no designers really now were creating major, like, uh, you know... Um, creative pieces because they've got to follow the money Um, so I continued to create these pieces you know I did a Swarovski two piece I worked with Andrew Logan I worked with um, what are they called Cutler and Gross sunglasses I made some Nixon watches so I was always fusing and collaborating and making and creating you know I had my look but shot by um, Mark LeBon who shot like oh, wow. you know he's yeah super famous so I was always knocking on those doors and always trying to push 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 
um, to the point where I ended up showcasing twice with the Royal Academy of Arts. And one of my collections was shown in a holographic form because I love technology. Not wow. because I understand it, because quite frankly, I don't. But that's it's intriguing. Mm. And that's why I want to work with tech, hence the whole robot mm. thing and the wearable tech. Because... I've got a vision and I've got ideas, but how can I make them come to life mm. through technology? And, you know, there are so many tech heads that have got the incredible brain to make it happen. Mm. And I've got the creative idea. So, you know, to have that fusion, you know, you create wonderful things. So at my exhibition at the t- at the um, Royal Academy, the hologram exhibition, it really turned people's heads. It really got people thinking, you know, this girl can do more than just like a catwalk mm-hmm. that everybody else do in our presentations. Um, and then, you know, one thing led to another. I were creating these fab presentations I showed at the M- at MNC Saatchi, augmented reality, but nothing was selling Emma. Like it was like, people loved the clothes. I got loads of press, like people want to wear them. I'd sell the odd thing here or there, but it wasn't enough to leave my part-time job, put it that way. Fine. Um, and the last straw was, you know, I went to Paris Fashion Week last, uh, yeah, last February. That was my last one. And I had, I don't know, like 18 orders and only one came through. And I was like, oh, my God, am I actually trying to achieve in this industry, in this space where I've had people, buyers, female buyers come to my booth. They've customised all my garments to make sure it suits their customer spent so much time, so much energy, energy with me, signed my order form, mm. but yet they've not gone through and they've not sent me the money oh and they've decided gosh. to like cancel the order. And at that point, I was like, I cannot be in this industry anymore. I cannot, I cannot keep creating collection after collection. It's cost me thousands mm. of pounds just to sit there and not be able to sell, um, which is unfortunately why a lot of fashion designers end up, you know, finding a different career path. Um, and at that point, I changed my message straight away. I was like, right, these sculptures that I'm creating for the body, whether it be out of metal or out of fabric, let's remove the body. If you hang it from the ceiling, it's a light fitting. If you put oh, it I on the floor, that. it's the coffee table. And I've been using those phrases since last February. And so many people just got it. All the doors opened. So it just fit. Oh, yeah. So that pivot for you, that was quite a natural pivot. Very in natural. In a practical sense. Yeah. In an emotional sense. I mean, it sounds to me as if it kind of, yeah, as I said, it kind of happened quite naturally and felt right at the time. But was that, were you kind of racked by nerves and do that? Was it a kind of sense of, what am I walking away from? Yeah. Do you know what? There were nothing, nothing like that. And there were no emotion attached because I'd been trying for, so, like, what, three, four years mm. to really, you know, I showed at Shanghai Fashion I'd done all these incredible things and I was still not in the top stores. Mm. I got a few stockists, but not like where I should be at at the time. Um, so I were really excited at the fact that I were pivoting. You know, I were really like... Oh, I was so happy. I was jumping. I was like, oh my God, this is going to be... To the point where I've just been to India recently, you know, the home of textiles. I don't want to see another bit of fabric. Oh. You know what I mean? I'm over <laughs> yeah. it. Like, I'm so yeah. over it. Like, I'd sell the whole lot if I could because I feel that strongly. That's and that's classic. because I've found my purpose in life. And before, when I've done a podcast, I've spoken about happiness and, you know, what makes you happy. And now I've find my, found my purpose in life, which is not making clothing. Everything just makes, makes sense. sense. 
that's so fascinating to me because I think there is so much pressure around careers and I think transitioning you kind of can end up following a path that you hadn't necessarily planned for and you're not really sure where you're going but then you kind of I think people often get quite kind of siloed Mm -hmm. in their Mm -hmm. careers and they're like well you know I've kind of done this for x number of years you know doesn't necessarily make sense but I kind of don't really know anything else and actually making any sort of jump any sort of career change transition can feel really scary mm-hmm. absolutely but, so but when often, you do it you're you like do, oh. because so but you get so used to kind of like that that feeling like wading through porridge when something just doesn't stick and you're like no I, but I've got to stick it out and I think that story to me I think it's just so fantastic because I think obviously grit and determination and mm-hmm. pushing mm-hmm. through with ideas and things is good and can serve you very well but as cer- at a certain point it's equally as important to recognize when it's time to stop mm-hmm. and to let go mm-hmm. and say okay that doesn't work mm-hmm. and that doesn't have to be the end yeah it actually can be the beginning that's the thing because if i had continued i'd have got upset i'd have got anxious i'd have been you know i'd have felt like a failure because it mm-hmm. was nothing that i could have done when making it like Mm. work like making my products sell so the minute that I changed my message pivoted to a different angle of art and design Mm. and creativity you know I got my first commission like creating an 11 foot copper Christmas tree for the Mm. ivy like hang on one minute I'm making sculptural dresses and the next minute I'm making that just proves that it can happen you know you've just got to be just found your thing yeah for sure you know you've got to You've got to know what it is you're pivoting to mm. and why, why? Um, with a very strong and clear message. Mm. But I changed all my portfolio around. And within two months, I was on BBC Radio 4 talking to Ron Arad about the fact that, yeah, I've done fashion, but now I'm on to tech and art. And he was like, yeah, you know, well, you can listen to it. But, mm. you know, he even... It's a brilliant podcast. <laughs> it's jokes. But the fact that he does exactly... What I would like to do, which is design shampoo, mm. champagne bottles, design sunglasses, design buildings, been an architect background, you know, design chairs, design sofas. I don't, being a fashion designer, I had to limit myself to a body. Mm. And that's what buyers didn't understand. So I would like dress in a robot. They'd be mm. like, oh, copper metal and a robot, but yet you're trying what? to sell me clothes. Yeah. They just didn't get didn't it. Get it's way too much for their brain. So, so you found your people and you found your space and then things just clicked and that yeah, was it. Yeah. And does anyone, because I think this is something that we so often, I myself included, struggle with, to anyone listening who might be at that point where they're just kind of at breaking point of kind of feeling so frustrated with what they're doing, like ready for that change, ready for that pivot, was there what one piece of advice you'd give to someone to, in order to be able to, to move forward with that? Yeah. So um, I would say have maybe five clients or five projects or five brands or five products that you'd love to work with or you know Mm. I'm obviously speaking from my point of view because when I made that pivot I knew what I wanted to do because like I said take that sculpture away from the body hang it from the ceiling it's a light fitting you know so I started contacting uh, you know product companies because I wanted to collaborate with them and make copper light fittings you know so you've got to know what it is you're transitioning to and start emailing. If you don't knock on those doors, they're not going to open. No, no one's going to come find you. So true. No one's got time. Everyone's too busy. Everyone's busier than you. Mm. You know, no one's got time mm. for you. So you've got to do Reach your research. Out. And even just five, like it's not that many, mm. just knock on the door, send an email. They don't reply in two weeks. Hello, mm-hmm. I emailed you two weeks ago. Da, da, da. You know, I've said before at her hustle event, you've got to keep knocking on those doors. Be hello, persistent. hello, hello. What are they going to say? Hey, you're really annoying me. No. 
Never. Exactly. They're going to be like, oh, sorry, yeah, I've been too busy, but we haven't really got space for your project right now. Thanks, bye. At least you know. At least you've tried. Yeah. And I'm also actually so often surprised at how many people do actually get back to you. Yeah, see. I think it's more you. I was emailed Aston Martin and I got a reply on jumping around office. Like, I was oh like teaching at the day. Anyway, they'd said, oh, yeah, well, thanks for your email, but uh, we'll maybe think about it for the future. Yeah. I was like, okay, you've opened but, the door and you know, closed it. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I got but a they reply. Responded, exactly. <laughs> I think we tend to be our own worst enemies and think, well, you know, they wouldn't respond anyway. They won't care anyway. So you don't send that email. And if you don't reach out, exactly. they don't know you're there. Absolutely. Make yourself visible. As you say, keep knocking. And also, even I think just to implant your name in someone else's head. Yes. So one day, maybe if they don't re- respond the first time, two years down the line, when you are hustling hard and doing great things and you come back, and that may be like, oh, I told them no the yeah, first time around, and now I feel time, bad yeah. exactly now I want you um, I love it that's a really really good um, and very kind of practical piece of advice um, so you've just described for me just that that pivotal moment in your career where you really you found your thing and incredibly exciting um, what was the breakthrough moment then going forward in this new career path you were pursuing so moving away from fashion what was that breakthrough moment when you were like yes I'm doing the right thing for me and other people are really recognising that mm-hmm um, that's a good question. So I remember seeing Sophia the Robot on the front of the stylist last January. So that was a month before I decided that fashion wasn't for me. So at this point in my mind, I was like, I need to work with her and I need to put her in my clothes. And just describe Sophia the Robot for anyone so, who doesn't know. Yeah, Sophia the Robot is the first female humanoid AI robot and she's a citizen in Saudi Arabia and she's gone on a date with Will Smith so she I didn't know she's on a date with Will Smith oh she's done everything darling she knocks on some doors oh yes mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I reached out and I was like look I've come across Sophia and I need to be making a robot with you aim high why not mm. and um I didn't hear anything back. Two months later, hello. And I managed to chase down the guy, David, such a lovely man, David Hansen, on LinkedIn. Hello, I emailed you four times. I've not heard anything. It'd be really great for you to be in my portfolio. I've got an amazing... And he replied. He was like, oh, Persistence. Exactly. Mm. Persistence, perseverance. He was like, I'm so excited about this collaboration. Let's jump on a call. No way. Oh, yeah. So I'd made this copper sculpture for her to wear... At Cogets, which is like the world's leading AI conference show, mm. basically. And she interviewed me whilst wearing this copper sculpture that I'd made for her. So obviously it was still in this fashion space, but it was very much around the fact that it was a robot AI. And I'd made a sculpture that were more for a machine than a human. Yeah. That's so. Amazing. And it were amazing and it were, we got great mm. feedback, great coverage, but it wasn't enough. So I pushed and pushed and pushed. And then I worked with her again for Shanghai Fashion Weekend where I made her some 3D printed and copper oh, yeah, cuffs. And we opened up in front of the local Chinese government, we opened up the Shanghai Fashion Weekend. Oh my God. And she, again, she, like for the three days, she kept interviewing me. And I think the reason why... I loved working with her was because so many people are like, oh my God, it's a robot, so scary, going to take over our lives. Hang on a minute, let's just rewind. Mm -mm. This is a machine, firstly. Secondly, the machine's only ever as clever as the human brain, so obviously you are the one that's uh, programming it, shall we say. Secondly, robots cannot procreate. Robots cannot work in a team. You know, there are certain Mm -hmm. things that... Limitations. Exactly. And once I was able to talk about this openly in a conversation in front of a in front of an audience, 
the amount of people that were coming up to Sophia afterwards because they were no longer scared was like immense. So I felt like I, I kind of did wow. a job of showing people that actually um, I'm working with a robot to help and aid my skills which are creating copper sculptures and creating conversation being risky Mm. pushing boundaries um technology is a tool it's what we do exactly thank you exactly and that's the whole you know conversation that i had with ron arad the fact that people think you need to use it as the output but Mm. you don't you use it as a tool to aid your practice and what you're creating exactly um so yeah that's fascinating. Now, I know you've spoken to me before, um, you mentioned it briefly earlier, about happiness being the root of everything. But building a successful and very busy <laughs> career like the one that you have is difficult and you can't do it all, all the time. What have you had to sacrifice to do what you do? Oh, so... Since a kid, because my parents were split up and I went dancing and I went to brownies and I did this and I did that, I've always had to juggle nine million things. So that's just become like natural to me. Mm. So if I'm not juggling loads of things at once, I get a bit like, oh, I'm not busy. Oh, mm. she's God, not exactly busy. She needs to get busy. Freaks me oh, out. Oh, what's she doing? Mm. She needs to get some yep. business in. Needs to get some jobs on the go. Um, so, True hustler right there. Yeah. <laughs> Queen hustler. Queen hustler. Um, And basically, um, even, you know, being at uni, I had an internship and a job and doing my degree and had a boyfriend and had a family. You know, so it's always... I know. So, but I'm used to it and that's what I like. I'm not complaining. I'm not saying, oh, woe is me. You thrive on that. But I thrive on that. I love it and it works. However, April this year, I had this big heart murmur, thought of a heart attack called ambulance 999 i said oh my goodness i can't breathe i'm having a heart attack oh my god they were like is the patient alive i was like it's me i am the patient can you come around and check my heart? and guess what it was i went to the uh and i went in the ambulance had ecg scan went to the hospital had ecg scan the doctor said sadie clayton welcome to the world of anxiety i was like oh my god is this what everyone's been suffering with all this time and that wow. is and do you know what at the time, I was like, why me? Why me? I've changed my mm. whole lifestyle. However, I'm so glad it happened to me because it meant that I could really slow down and look after number one. If you don't look after yourself, who will? Mm-hmm. I never, ever exercised. I ate what I want, when I wanted. I don't care. Mm-hmm. I don't really drink that much anyway, but I drink, you know, once a week mm. or whatever. Smoked. I used to smoke roll-ups, maybe seven a day. Uh, going out drinking, obviously, you'd have more. Mm. Um, never done any sort of meditation, always been quite spiritual. So always, you know, really into crystals and like energy in the universe. Anyway, after that anxiety attack, I stripped back everything. Still do loads of jobs, still have loads on the go. However, I make time to meditate. London Buddhist Centre, you've saved my life. Two hours every Tuesday night, I'm going after this. Love it. Um, exercise. Uh, Liam is amazing. He runs around Victoria Park all the time. I go, Liam's your fabulous boyfriend. Yes, yeah, he's yeah. Sorry, no one knows. He's like my world. He's great. <laughs> um, Legitimately fabulous. Yes. <laughs> Shouts out there, Liam Campbell. Love. Um. Uh, and yeah, so he goes running. You know, loads of miles a mm. week. I go as and when I can. So I've got meditation running. I've got the night training app. So I mm. do a bit of yoga in the morning before work. Um, you know, just that. really pulled back. Don't have. I haven't drank caffeine since April. 
you know, kind of watch maybe kind of what I eat from time to time. Just being mindful. Be mindful, yeah. exactly. And, you know, really understanding my body mm. and really allowing my body to talk to me because mm. I feel that that's what people don't do. Oh, we get so, so used to shutting exactly. off how we feel and just kind of operating like like the computer systems, like robots. Yes. Like it's not legitimate to feel like... to have really bad period pains and yeah, to respond to that exactly. or to feel really tired and lethargic one day and respond to that you're kind of meant to kind of compartmentalise I think especially women compartmentalise those yeah. softer feelings Absolutely. and just carry on with your work I remember you know I'd be getting a cold three times a year since April I've not felt ill once I'm taking vitamins I'm meditating I'm exercising obviously I've been on quite a few holidays but you know that obviously helps but I feel like I'm now listening to my body I put lavender on my bed sheets every night. Ooh, the amount of that. I've had copious amounts of magnesium flake bloody baths. Oh, magnesium! You know? my new, and I oh, feel amazing. It's helped my sleep. Fresh mint so tea before I go to bed for your digestive system. All these little things that you know don't take much more time. Mm. Don't take much more energy, but make you a better person Person. internally and externally. And that really is what makes you happy. And that's so interesting because I love that you say you never felt like you were sacrificing anything because you thrive off of that busy schedule, have wearing multiple hats, juggling many different projects. And I really empathize that. I think it's kind of similar, same way. But actually you can end up sacrificing your own mental health and well-being without really realising Without realising. Because it's this kind of compartmentalisation. It's kind of this drive. Constantly be busy and therefore you're being successful and you're being good and you're pushing yourself. And actually, that can't last. That's not sustainable. It's not sustainable. And I'm so glad now looking back that that happened, Mm. that anxiety attack, because it allowed me to slow down, change my way of life a little Mm. bit, and now, luckily, I've come out the other side and I'm not anxious mm-hmm. anymore. You know, I don't. And if I feel like maybe it's coming on, I know I've got the tools now to mm-hmm. kind of suppress it. Not suppress it, but cure it. Because I feel like prevention is better than the cure, which is why I totally. keep doing that meditation. I just keep doing the lavender thing. All these little things. Mm-hmm. It really, really works. That's such good advice. Right. Let's talk about failure. In a culture so focused on success, it can often feel as though failure isn't really an option as though there is something almost shameful about failing. But in my own experience, I've learnt as much, if not more, from the things I've gotten wrong than from the things that I've gotten right. So, Sadie Clayton, I mean, I can't really imagine you ever failing, but (laughs) can you describe a point of failure in your own career which has been key to your success? So, for me, which if you've heard a podcast from me before, you've probably I've already heard them this all. I'm obsessed <laughs> with you. <laughs> oh God! But uh, yeah, it, I can't not talk about it because it was like oh, so bad. Basically, I was so naive. I was so eager. I don't want to say the word desperate because I don't think desperate's the right word. But I was eager and excited and loved saying yes to everything mm-hmm. that I sent five of my pieces to this stylist in inverted commas um to in Tokyo mm-hmm. uh, and he'd said you know you pay 100 quid I'll reimburse you when it arrives la, la 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 long story short um I never received the pieces back after umpteen emails and he uh, paid for the postage he did pay cost- for the postage so I've oh lost a hundred pound I've lost five pieces uh, one of which um 
uh, I, I collaborated with a 150 years old tailor's company, a tailoring company in uh, Wandsworth, and they made these beautiful pair of trousers. And the biggest thing was the embroidered bomber jacket that was made in collaboration with Jackie Pusey. Um, and we used like gold and copper thread and it was all 3D and it was just the bomb. Uh, retail, it would have easily been 20 grand. And, oh my God. Uh, yeah, and this is quite stolen. early on in your career, wasn't it? So uh, this the, yeah, a few years a few, ago now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 20, wait, 2016. So yeah, oh. 2015. I graduated 2013, you know, so really so early, early on. on. Oh. Um, I found out via my friend Mandy Leonard, who very kindly did some research for me. And I was I was in Barcelona when I found out and I cried on the beach. Probably oh. got drunk that night. And um, But you know what? Two things. The first, I learned to... Um, be resourceful and make sure you research everybody and everything. Mm. Even though I asked a friend of mine and even he was like, yeah, it looks credible. Because to be fair, he was such a scammer. He'd got such an amazing Instagram. He'd done all these incredible shoots before for days and another man and all these incredible, oh. you know, magazines. Why would I say no? Yeah. Um, and secondly, something amazing came out of it. And a company called Clo3D, which are now hugely successful, they're working with the top fashion brands, they said that they would like to recreate my jacket that got stolen in a digital format. Oh. And right now we're in this space, I'm not going to go on about it because it's a whole different topic, but we're in this space of virtual and digital yeah. fashion. And they started recreating my jacket digitally. Couldn't commit wow. on the project towards the end because you know they've got yeah. bigger fish to fry, fine. Passed it on to the company called The Fabricant in Amsterdam and they remade it down to the T digitally, put it on a digital avatar and we launched it uh, oh, with Forbes Fashion Week, uh, September 2018, London Fashion Week. And that was the end of my fashion career. And I thought, I've just left this industry on with a boom a yeah, oh. on a high. Because what had happened... I, I did all these amazing things happen, collaborations, mm. travel, projects, commissions. I made a cup of crown for Gigi Hadid. Like, there's so many projects that we mm. did. You know, then this major thing happened where lots of things got stolen and a big, big piece of mine, that was super expensive, yeah. like really beautiful, like my core piece got stolen. And it did a whole 360 because these digital companies had found me and recreated it. Forbes talked about it and we put it out into mm. the universe, out into the digital world. And at that point, it wasn't as big as it is now. Yeah. You know, so again, we were kind of at the forefront of that. Yeah. Um, so I just think, you know, you have to fail in order yeah. to succeed. Like you have to, even the other day I told you when I couldn't make that sculpture and I was just getting all stressed, pulling mm. my hair out and I went home and cried. I'm so glad I did that mm. because now, now it looks fabulous. Yeah. I'm happy with it if I do say so myself. You know, sure, so I've probably had loads of other failures like that, but I, I, I'm such a positive person. Yeah. I'm, such a, my, I'm so energetic and I'm always like everything happens for a reason I've probably just put it to the back of my mind but I know that that is the biggest thing that obviously I'll never ever forget it's so interesting in the <laughs> moment in those moments it just you know something like that you know is as bad as it is just feels so soul destroying mm -hmm. but you just want to say to anyone who goes through that when you see it from the outside like in a couple months' time, in a year's time, you'll look back and this will be such a pinnacle moment. Exactly. And you'll so appreciate this, however hard it is right now. Yeah. Although yeah. I don't recommend giving that advice to someone who's going through a specifically hard time in their career because I did that recently and it 
didn't didn't go down so well. <laughs> and it, it wasn't as comforting as, as I thought it might be. I just want to say one other thing as well. Yeah, um, when I was graduating, I obviously was, you know, I was taught to work with fabrics. So I've never, I never at that point worked with metal before. So I'd made a prototype. They're called twirls in fashion. I'd made this twirl out of mod rock to then be recreated by somebody else that mm-hmm. I would pay for in the same way that you'd pay for a seamstress to make my copper sculpture. Anyway, long story short, I had what, three weeks before my deadline and I'd handed over my patterns, mm. my twirl, my everything to this particular person to make my sculpture. And I didn't hear from him for weeks and weeks and weeks. Oh, to the point where my degree is on the, li- on the line at this point, right? Oh, no. We were living in Kingston. Liam and I went and stalked the man. Luckily, I knew where he lived and knew where his studio was. And we stood there, sat there in a bus stop so I could, you know, see his car coming from either yeah. way. Said to the security guard at his like, studio... If he turns up, please, here's my number, please call me. I won't let him know that it's you that's told me. Yeah. Just please call me. This is my degree on the line. I need to get oh, it back now. Yeah. 11pm came, still no sign of him. At this <gasps> point, I've run a cab. But I've rang the cab to collect us from his house yeah. so I can see if he's gone yeah, home. Yeah. Liam and I stood about to get in the cab. He drives past. <gasps> Guess what? He's driving past to the studio. No. Security guards rang me. Sadie is here. It's like, some, like a BB, like, no, like a Channel 4 drama. Crime drama. Exactly. I love it. See so, the detective. Exactly. So Liam and I have jumped in the cab. Security guards rang. I'm like, yeah, I know. I've just yeah. seen him. So Liam and I have gone to the studio. I've jumped out of the cab. I said, excuse me, I've come to collect my work. He went, yeah, I think that's best. Obviously, we've had to jump back in the cab, jump to the tube station because we live in Kingston. Like the tubes are about to like, you know, this wasn't yeah. a 24 hour tube at this point. Anyway. My point of the story is... But he had your stuff. You got it back. Oh, I, I got it oh, back. Great. But I had to still find somebody to create it. I didn't know how to work with metal. I had this copper metal sheets and I, I couldn't do anything. I didn't know how to work with it. Yeah. So I contacted this guy who now we're really good friends called Steve, half past seven in the morning. Hi, my name's Sadie Clayton. I'm a student and basically yeah. I've had my things stolen and I've just got them back. And he's like, proper Irish, I can't do accents. But he was like, hang on, it's half past seven in the morning. Sadie, can you call me back at nine o'clock? 8.59 came in the SU bar <laughs> dancing about hi I called you at half past seven this morning I, basically I need you I need to see you I, I can I know that you've made these sculptures for the, for the uh, Chelsea Flower Show and I've got this copper and I need you to create my sculpture I've got money I'll pay you like I've got a thousand pound I'll just pay you I'll pay you and he's like uh, okay I need to see what you're talking about so he drove down to Kingston and basically every single day I were at uni till five I'd leave Kingston I'd drive I'd I'd get the tube to Walthamstow, be in his shed till three in the in the morning, working on the metal stuff because he wasn't in fashion. He didn't know how to put the yeah. sculptures together. He just knew how to work with metal. And then I'd stay at his. His girlfriend would drive me back to the station oh. in the morning. I'd come back down to Kingston. I'd do my day's work at uni, go back to his in the shed. Wow. But the moral of the story is sometimes at that oh my god I think I must have lost like loads of weight at that point because I wasn't eating I, was so I wasn't oh. sleeping I was on the phone to mum every night crying because I couldn't get hold of this guy and my stuff oh god but, my mum gets so many of those calls yeah exactly <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> but on the other side I found not only an incredible metal worker which in the end it was like an apprenticeship because I now he taught me how to how metal but now we're friends and you know and it was just so amazing so yeah that was another failure like the fact that I'd given away everything so now I always make sure I have a backup so now I always have patterns. so useful piece of advice to your future self yeah. always have a backup yeah. but also there is as you said the kind of everything does really have happen for a reason and yes. I always think especially with meeting people I think your paths cross I think you, you could cross paths with people at 
often very much like at the right point. Like mm-hmm. you meet people for a reason. They come into your life for a reason. Yeah. There's something, something, and if you're kind of personally runs with that, yeah. I think some br- brilliant things can happen as a result. Absolutely. Because if I'd have stayed with the other guy, I would never have learned how to work with metal. But the fact that I, ch- I found Steve, the Irish guy, to help me make it, it meant that he taught me. So now I can, now I do it for a living. So now you have God, so, that's crazy. There's one person mental. so serendipitous. I know. Um, so, obviously, you're, you've, been, um, you've worked in the creative industries for pretty much all of your career, uh, and you've been freelance for most of those years, which really requires you to become a bit of a business person. How have you found this? Is there anything you've had to learn to make this work for you? Uh, I'm not going to lie. I've got a business partner that is all about the business. So... Thank God, because I think, oh my God, I don't know how I'd make any money otherwise. Um, It is a juggle, you know, and a struggle. Mm. You have to think about your product and what you're trying to do with it and Mm. how how is it unique and what's their need and what's their purpose of having what I'm making. You know, I do fuse... um, copper metal technology and spirituality you know how can I feed that into people's lives mm-hmm. and right now it's really working because obviously everyone's on this whole mindfulness well-being yeah. thing which I hope sticks because it means that everyone will be de-stressed and mm-hmm. kind of you know a lot more zen we hope um listening to their bodies a bit more yeah exactly mm-hmm. um and if I can do that via art which obviously yeah. you know a form of that therapy then I'm I'm happy um but yeah having understanding the business side is something that because i not that I'm not interested, but it's not my forte. I can't concentrate on it enough. So what's great is that I've got a business partner mm-hmm. who's very much like a mentor. We speak every day. She, she lives in Milan. Like, you know, I speak to her every day. Oh, wow. Um, you know, she she's like my second mum, basically. You know, like mum's first text in the morning, Georgina's second text in the morning, you know, like everything I do goes through her mm-hmm. all my contracts all my Skype calls all my decisions go through her because from a business perspective it has to fit in line with our strategy mm-hmm. and it's alright me saying yes 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 to everything, to everything but you do need a bad cop mm-hmm. in a business so yeah. I'm the good cop and she's the bad cop mm-hmm. she's one chasing my invoices mm-hmm. I'm still there being like oh hi did you like your piece of art mm-hmm. but she's like hello where's my money type of thing um, that's fantastic because I do think often you can think that it just ha- it has to be you You, have, if you're going out so if, for example if you're kind of starting starting a label, starting your own company, uh-huh. or you know embarking on on your own project, you feel like you need to do everything, and like oh god, you know I need to learn all the skills to be able to manage mm-hmm. everything. And mm-hmm. sometimes, you know, it is important to learn as much as you can, but just as important as saying you know I actually don't have the bandwidth to be able to learn this. Absolutely. I don't have the time or the capacity to do this, mm-hmm. so I can bring in someone like I can work who with can? someone who yeah. can, and that just is, is I think a sign of strength more than definitely I think delegation people are always scared to delegate but actually um Georgina is so welcoming with open with open arms wants to take the load off me Mm. because she knows that I've got to teach and do this and do this and do this and do this that actually whatever she can do to make my life easier as an artist and allow me to concentrate on the creative side the better um so yeah that that bit of advice like definitely find somebody that can take a big chunk of the business mm. side away, like the accounting, well the marketing, all of that, which ugh, bore off, you know? Because you have to weigh up. I mean, the amount of time that you might end up having to spend doing that sort of stuff, is that time 
you know, better spent you focusing on what you do best? Can you, I mean, make more money just focusing well, on what you exactly. do best? And, and yeah, you that's know, why the, delegation is so important. The, the, the couple of things that I'm working on at the moment, which I'm really excited about, is driven by me finding new business. If I were concentrating on my accounts and I want to be finding new be business, doing, yeah. you know, and you've, and also I've got to keep creating in the studio in order for me to create new products to show people what I can do to get the new business you know so absolutely like you've got to give off if you can Mm. give off you know a lot of your load to other people it could be other it doesn't have to be one person it could Mm. be a few different people in order to remain focused on what you're good at are there any specific habits that you have um developed that have enabled you to work most effectively in having this very busy and entrepreneurial life i noticed you came up with the red file facts which i had my eyes on as i'd quite like on myself the red file facts saves my life anybody that knows me Mm -hmm. knows about my file facts to the point where i have meetings people and i'm like right i'm just gonna get my page like am i getting a page in your file facts like it is that important i I can't live my life without it all my like meetings mm. or dates or girlfriend dates or holidays mm-hmm. or birthday, everything is colour coordinated. You oh, know, wow. from my calls to my meetings, depending on who it's with or, you know, that is my life. And if I don't, if I can't, I'm quite old. I know people use like Google diaries and stuff, but I'm quite old school. Mm-hmm. I think I'm an old soul, actually. Um, basically, I like to be able to write things down, have a proper hard copy. But that's kind of that's weighs a ton. It's so, it's those small, tiny things that can make such a big difference to adjust your like life productivity and everything oh for sure for sure now i could talk to you forever but we are going to have to wrap it up Mm -hmm. shortly um but before we do i just want to ask you one final question with regards to money because i think it is such an important issue for everyone uh not least for people who are working in the creative industries and specifically freelancers so whether it's setting a day rate, negotiating a pay rise or trying to politely ask about expenses, and I will surely make myself broke by avoiding this question, um, talking about money is awkward, but we have to do it. Have you reached a point in your career where you feel like you really know your worth? How do you negotiate your pay? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it is hard. it's still difficult today, like, you know, considering the big commissions I've, I've had or, you know, the... I, you know, my hourly rate's quite high, let alone my daily rate. But I think you have to stand your ground, like know mm. your worth. If you start like backtracking and, mm. oh, then they're going to be like, oh, actually, she doesn't even know what she's talking about. Mm. I'm just going to pay it. You know, she needs me more than mm. more than I need her type of thing. Um, and you've just got to be stern. Like, you know, you've got to really, really, mm. and start high. Mm. You know, then they can bring you down. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know... You've got to pay your bills. You're yeah. on this planet like they yeah. are. You have to make sure that you get paid what you're worth. And I've actually got a um, like a data like spreadsheet that Georgina very kindly put together for us that outlines my hourly fee, my half a day rate, like if it's for like a sketch or if it's like a sketch and a prototype, if mm-hmm. it's a sketch, a prototype and a Skype call, like, you wow. know, start to break it down. Yeah. Like you've got to rinse it basically. Like it, it depends, you know, because like the tape, for example, I work with them quite a bit and I'm working with them in two weeks time for this incredible project, which is about exploring identity through technology. But I'm working with this new robot Ooh. called Ada and oh. she's the world's first female artist robot oh she's a painter very excited um, for that and you know that is really gonna like raise my profile yeah. and hers yeah 
And there is money attached, but it's not the best money. Mm. So it's weighing up how much a job is worth, how much you're worth to someone and how much a job is worth to you. Exactly. Does that mean saying no sometimes, just flat out saying like, no, I can't do this job because I'm walking away. Because that's hard. It's difficult, especially for your freelance, to to walk away from any offer of money. But, you know, to your point, I guess it is just as important as standing your ground and saying, no, this is what I'm worth and you've got to pay me this or I will walk away because otherwise you kind of lose your credibility. Yeah. Absolutely. In highlighting that as your worth. Yeah, of course. Right. Two quick fire questions, very, very short answers. What is one thing you wish you'd known before starting out in your career? Oh, that's hard. Maybe have a Filofax. Yeah, I've written a diary for twelve years, so that's why the Filofax thing got introduced. It's all there in one thing. Uh, Yeah, I think. Oh, yeah, Filofax, and also I think that idea of that balance between um, Mm. working hard and resting. I never understood. I don't actually never understood what the word rest meant. Mm. I remember mum and my granny used to always say, said, you need to rest up time. What does rest mean? You know, Oh, I think never. exactly the same with my mum. And I think it's that sense of rest is kind of, you know, it's counter to productivity. Yeah. It's counterintuitive to the notion of productivity, but it's not. It's fundamental to it. And I always had it in my mind. Yeah, I always had it in my mind. There were kind of these binary opposite. Either you worked really hard and you were on go all the time, or you were that kind of person that rested and took it easy. But there was no kind of happy medium. Uh-huh. And actually, that is the fastest way to burn out. Exactly. Which I learned in April when I had yeah. my, what I thought was a heart attack. Oh, she's dying. Almost a heart attack. <laughs> Thankfully, it wasn't a heart attack. Okay. And finally, what is one book you'd recommend to any budding artist or creative or actually anyone who's starting out or building their career a source of inspiration it's not are. how good you are it's how good you want to be by paul arden paul arden great it's going amazing. on my shopping list yeah it's this really evening. really good fantastic yeah. sadie thank you so much for coming on the first ever hustle podcast oh, I'm so, i feel so <laughs> honored and i'm so excited thanks for having me no i'm so excited to see what else you do next yay Thank you so much for listening to the How I Hustle podcast with me, Emma Louise. Please don't forget to subscribe and listen to all our future episodes. And please, if you have time, leave us a review as it'll help others find the podcast too. Bye.